You put dollars in, you put energy in, and then out comes sales. Being an investor, I kind of realized that this was something I needed to get out to the world. It's okay to do what you want. It's okay to think about you. I'm Richard Gerhart. And I'm Elizabeth Gerhart. You've just heard some great tidbits from our show. Stay tuned for the rest. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, founder of Gearhart Law, a firm specializing in patents, trademarks, and copyrights. I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not an attorney, but I work at Gearhart Law doing the marketing and I have my own startup. Welcome to Passage to Profit, the road to entrepreneurship, where we talk with entrepreneurs, small businesses, and discuss the intellectual property that helps them flourish. We have a very special guest, Guy Powell, who's the founder of Pro Relevant, and he's an author and marketing strategist, as well as an ROI expert. So we're going to get lots of good marketing tips from him. And then we have two excellent presenters. I have to ask, are you in pain physically? Because if you are, you want to hear what Christian Seal has to say with Vitruvia. He's got a non-surgical method to help you. I'm very interested in this. And then women, do you want to feel empowered? Do you want to go to a fantastic event in November in Delaware. Nikki Brown has the perfect thing for you. It's called Ignite Summit, and she'll tell you all about it. Sounds too good to be true. But before we get to our distinguished guests, it's time for IP in the news. What are we talking about now? Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and what is that? So Winnie the Pooh that was written many years ago by A.A. Milne is coming off of copyright. And so that means anybody can use it. Now, Disney did a lot with it. So you can't use any of the Disney stuff, but you can use the name. So this person, and I don't have his name in front of me, wanted to be the first to get there with something about Winnie the Pooh. And so he decided to do a horror film. Which I think is absolutely horrible because I remember my mother and sitting on her knee, being all comfortable and she reading Winnie the Pooh books to me and turning it into a horror movie just completely destroys all of those fantastic childhood memories. Well, I thought it could be kind of funny, but then I watched the trailer and it was super bloody. Yeah, it's very bloody and I guess it's gory. And what I understand is that Winnie the Pooh and Piglet, tiny little Piglet, becomes feral and they become serial killers and they try to kill Christopher Robin because he abandoned them. And there's a little grave there where it says Eeyore, R-I-P. So I guess Eeyore's dead. Yes, Eeyore, I, I guess all of Eeyore's misery finally came to fruition at some point. So just for copyright. So Disney still has copyright to the stuff they did with it, right? Because they didn't use well, the red shirt. Well, it depends on when the copyrights expire. So the book was written by A.A. A. Milne a long time ago. And so I would imagine that a lot of the original cartoons are off copyright. So Disney probably added some things. But look, at if they can make a horror movie out of it, then really they've lost most of their important rights. And there's no way to extend those. Yeah. This movie is like up there with Abraham Lincoln, the vampire slayer, right? You know, it's just. <laughs> Makes Pride sense. and Prejudice and Zombies, right? <laughs> People love doing this to our classes. Anyway, I guess we all have to watch it now, but it's time for Richard's Roundtable, and we'd love to get our guests' opinions on this serious development in the world of intellectual property. Let's start with our guest, Guy Powell. Welcome to the show, Guy. What are your thoughts on this evolving Winnie the Pooh saga? As you were talking about it, I was thinking about how a brand can lose control of their brand, in particular in social media. And it very much mirrors exactly what's happened now with the Winnie the Pooh brand, so to speak. So if I get a reputation attack with it, you know, and if it's false or whatever, I can you know, lose my reputation in social media and in marketing, and then I have to try and figure out how to repair it. In this case, with Winnie the Pooh, I'm kind of, I don't know how you could repair it. Once that brand gets destroyed with that horror movie, that horrible horror movie, I can't imagine what they can do to get that brand back. So it may be destroyed forever. As you were talking through it, I was thinking the same thing. And you think about all the kids that grew up with this story, and it's like a nice thing. And, you know, there's sort of wholesomeness there to the cartoon characters and some humor. And a lot of children probably benefited 
from hearing some of those stories. And like you said, once this comes out, you really wonder what's going to happen to the franchise. And this kind of ties into last week when we talked about how Oprah, Oprah's company, Harpo, sued these two young women who started a podcast, all things about Oprah, and were using her name all over the place. And they named the podcast like Oprah something, I forget what. And Oprah was really smart to say, look, you know, you could really destroy my brand if people think this is sanctioned by me. It really is very interesting. Christian, what are your thoughts on all this? I was thinking about a quote somebody told me yesterday that Albert Einstein and said the most important decision we will make is whether we believe we live in a friendly or a hostile universe. And I guess the people that made this maybe think we live in a hostile universe and I would tend to think that we live in a friendly one. And so to the extent that they could make something like Winnie the Pooh, Pigs Do Fly or something kind of fun, creative, you know, I think that might be a, a much better thing for the world and the brand. I agree. They are kind of ruining it for everybody. But so right? here's the thing, they wanted to be the first ones to use Winnie the Pooh after it came off copyright. So why does your brain immediately go to horror? <laughs> I agree with you. Like you can see the world as a good place or a bad place. And that's how they see the world, I guess. I guess it is. Or they're trying to make money off the people. Who knows? Anyway, Nikki. You know, honestly, a brand, people create brands that they think cater to the culture. And I can't say I'm surprised by this because there's been so many bizarre situations and remakes of things. And I will not be surprised if there is an entire underground community that gravitates towards it. On some level, there's a lot of things that have been idyllic and, you know, whimsical from generations that I grew up in that are really kind of turning to dust. I mean, there, you know, my daughter is 19 and there's things that I'm bringing up to her and she's like, what is that? I'm like, what? You don't understand what Winnie the Pooh is? Like, if I said that to her now, she would be like, okay, so what? Yeah. You know, so there there really is a culture out there that is really changing. And somewhere or another, they believe, because this would never have happened 20 years ago. Right. I don't think anybody would have even dared to think that it would be acceptable 20 years ago to even remake. That's like remaking Cinderella, you know, into a... She's a serial killer. Like you would not have done it 20 years ago because the culture would not have allowed it. Somewhere or another, I feel like there's a culture out there that's allowing it. And I think you're 100% right. They're going to start having secret Winnie the Pooh parties where everybody dresses up like <laughs> Winnie the Pooh characters and oh, walks around with <laughs> knives and blood. And <laughs> Okay, well, let's, let's move on. Kenya, Kenya, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's horrific and genius in the same breath. And I think that, you know, if you can take a well-established brand that has recognition and you can flip it into something else, it wasn't a bad idea. I just think it's aligned not with the best intent. Well, now you guys have me thinking because maybe we should rename Passage to Profit Blood and Patents or something like that, because there's obviously going to be a culture out there that wants the horrific side of entrepreneurship. Or a funny side or anything. I think if you flip it into anything, it could work. So anyway, Guy Powell, who's the founder of Pro Relevant, and he's an author and marketing strategist, as well as an ROI expert. And he works with major brands. He's made a lot of major brands, very successful. So welcome to the show, Guy. Maybe you could talk about your book. Absolutely. Thank you uh, so much. The book is called Post-COVID Marketing Machine. The idea is primarily, first of all, is to take your marketing activities and connect them to sales. And that is the biggest challenge. And certainly for smaller businesses, it gets more and more challenging. For larger businesses, they hire folks like my company, and we then do a lot of data and analytics to be able to do that connection so that they can say, we spent a million dollars on a TV ad, and we sold a hundred million dollars in insurance or whatever it happens to be. And one of the things that's also kind of critical in what we're doing is because we are making that connection, the marketers uh, butts, uh, so to speak, are on the line because now they have to deliver. When you're a company that has shareholders and you're on the stock exchange and, and you're you know, listed or, or what have you, then their butt is on the line and their bonus is based on whether they can help grow the business. And so for quite a few of our companies, our clients, our efforts actually determine what their bonuses are. And so because we then use a very sophisticated, very systematic approach to build that connection between marketing and sales, 
And we do that by building a marketing machine. You think about a machine, you put dollars in, you put energy in, you put you know resources in, and then out comes something. And in our case, out comes sales. That's the idea behind the marketing machine. And then obviously with COVID and the enormous disruption that took place, we wrote a new version of it called the post-COVID marketing machine. And that's then what my book is all about. Some specific questions though. During COVID, we all networked, we all got on Zoom. We were all like, oh my gosh, this is all we can do. But now we're post-COVID. How important is it to go to in-person events, to hold in-person events? to your networking, to your marketing? Well, first of all, the more important thing is to start measuring whether they are important or not. That is probably the critical thing that small businesses don't do is to start to measure. That I think is the one key takeaway for the audience is to realize that whether you are a small business or a big business, measurement is critical. Because if I had been measuring before COVID, then I measured through COVID and now hopefully post-COVID, then I could start to determine that when I go to this event or when I go to meet people or when I do a Zoom call or when I do something else, that I started to get response. And the response is either better or worse than before. And so then by measuring and measuring consistently and constantly, then I'll be able to be able to answer your question as to whether it makes sense to do the Zoom calls or go to meetings or whatever it happens to be. Oh, that's a great insight. Yeah, we try to keep track of where our clients come from. And we're pretty good 90% of the time at recording that information. I think that that's really important. The other thing is if you're using your website, to attract a lot of business. What are some of the most important parameters to look at for the analytics for your website? The two things that are clearly important are the number of visits you get and then how much engagement. So does that visitor stay for one minute, 10 minutes, or 10 seconds? That's pretty critical. And then being able to see that activity right after you did something. So if we send out a direct mail or if we send out an email or we did a series of social posts or whatever, to be able to see whether there was an up or down in activity that kind of reflected the timing of those marketing actions that you did. The other thing is to really start to understand where those visits came from. We're doing an analysis right now for a furniture company and we're looking at exactly where those visits came from. Now, some of them you can tell, some of them, you know, if you're using Google Analytics, which I strongly recommend for small business, Adobe and Google Analytics for larger businesses works just as well. But there you, you can start to see where your visits are coming from, but also you get visits that you don't know where they came from. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we do is we start to, again, correlate We did a direct mail or an email or an event, and we saw all of a sudden, you know, visits, generic visits coming to the website, and it went up and it went down. And so then we can start to make the logical conclusion that that bump in visits came from that marketing action. We have to take a commercial break, but we'll be back with more Passage to Profit and Guy Powell right after this commercial message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law. www.GearheartLaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent present you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearheart. And our special guest, Guy Powell, author of The Post-COVID Marketing Machine. And we have been talking about what you should do with your marketing. We have our media maven, Kenya Gibson, here with us to ask Guy a question. Guy, obviously there's a post-COVID marketing machine because there have been 
behavioral changes in consumers. Can you talk a little bit about what some of those changes have been? I outline three changes in the book. The first one is, is the consumer purchase behavior. I remember distinctly uh, sitting here at my desk and I said, oh man, I need to buy something and you know, a UPS. And it was right in the middle of COVID. I get up, I zoom out, I get in the car and I'm driving down the street and I go, wait a minute, what am I doing? Why am I going? Why am I driving? I turn around, I come back home, I go on Amazon and I buy it. So the purchase behavior, the first instinct in my mind was, well, I got to go look and see what's uh, you know in the store, get my fingers on it. And I said, well, what am I wasting my time for doing that for? I'll just look online and I went to Amazon and I bought it. That right there is an example of how consumer purchase behavior has changed. Now, I will admit that change was already in place. So for Gen Y and Gen Z, that change has already been taking place. Gen X a little less. And then, of course, boomers, you know, a lot less. Well, now boomers now know how to buy things online. And so they are going to the stores a lot less. The second thing is consumer media consumption behavior, purchase behavior, now media consumption. So now we're no longer watching TV. We're now watching uh, TV on our iPad. We're watching it on a phone. We're watching it on a smart TV. We're binge watching. We're doing it totally differently. And that right there meant that the marketers had to respond to be able to say, well, you know, if they're not watching The Bachelor or something like that, or they're not watching a football game or a baseball game, we have to go find out where they are. And we have to figure out a way to get our messages in front of them. And then the last thing is consumer media response behavior. And what I mean by that is, and you've probably seen it quite often, the ads on TV nowadays have QR codes. I can take my phone and take a picture of the QR code and then bang, I'm right there on the website. And of course, I'm a nerd, so I do it just to test it out. So that's changed. But also what's changed is as soon as you see an ad, you go to your laptop, you got your laptop right there. You got your iPad, you start typing in the website or you type in the brand name, and then you're off to the races in terms of trying to find out more information. And that consumer media response behavior is the third big piece that has changed pre-COVID versus now post-COVID. How can smaller businesses take advantage of some of these concepts that you just discussed? You know, what's interesting is I've seen quite a few small businesses advertising on TV. I've been amazed at how many are actually doing that. You know, you'll see a, an HVAC company or a plumber or whatever. They're a small chain. I would consider them small business, not a micro business. And here they are, they're advertising. So I'm pretty surprised at that. The other thing that's happened is the way that you buy media. One of our clients is a big museum. I would consider them as well a small business. And they are now in the digital realm. They are using some really fascinating what's called geolocation-based advertising. So they are advertising based on where that cell phone is and where it goes to that group of individuals that are like that person there. And so if an individual crosses the threshold and goes to one of the uh, competing museums in the city, they know that and then they'll advertise to that person. So it's pretty fascinating how they've now taken this new technology, which has now become kind of commonplace since post-COVID and really use that to optimize their advertising. Well, based on this, what is your opinion about Google pay-per-click ads? Well, my lens is, of course, from a larger business. And be honest with you, what we've found is that uh, what I call paid social. So that's LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and now coming you know, with TikTok and some of the other ones. The ROI generally for our larger clients is much better on paid social than it is on paid digital, which would be the Google pay-per-click. That's wow. really interesting. So that's changed a lot because I remember 16 years ago, I mean, I did the Google pay-per-click ads myself, but now we have somebody else doing it for us. But we did a Facebook ad with a specific piece of content and we put the content on our website homepage as a blog and we had a hundred percent bounce rate. We had oh, a yeah. lot of visits. People went and looked at that content, but they didn't go further into the site. Were we doing top of the funnel? Were we like too broad of an audience, not a targeted audience, or is our website just not leading people where they need to go? Well, probably a combination of both. Could be that the website was not giving the answer that somebody was looking for. Also with Facebook, and I can't remember if Twitter does it, Facebook has the ability to segment their advertising from uh, top of funnel, mid funnel, and bottom of funnel. And so with that, then you can determine what you're trying to do. So top of funnel for folks uh, as an education thing would be more about driving awareness. 
hey, we exist, we're here, we do some really cool stuff in the legal patent area. Middle of funnel is to say, wow, if I had a problem with uh, patents, then yeah, I would probably want to choose this company versus that company. That's it. They offer exactly what I want. And then the bottom of the funnel is, hey, I need a patent attorney. Who do I look for? And I'm ready to choose right now. So, I'm, you know, I'm, my purchase intent right there is, is very high. So, you know, it depends on what you're trying to do as to whether you're trying to just get awareness or trying to build the brand or whether you're trying to get them to convert. Kenya, what are your thoughts here? I'm just wanting to know whether you think the consumer buying cycle has altered or changed from its traditional model. We've definitely seen a shortening of that cycle. Like a car, it used to be a six-month purchase cycle. Now it's typically less than 30 to 45 days. Really has uh, shifted in a big way. So even for the larger goods, certainly for the cheap stuff or the low consideration items, it's gotten much shorter. So people are making decisions quicker and faster. And I guess I have one follow-up question to that. As a marketer, what should you be doing to combat that change? Well, first of all, buy my book. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a dirty plug. <laughs> it's a shameful, shameless plug. But if they are watching and tracking the right kind of data, then in their marketing funnel, so we talked about top, middle, and bottom of the funnel, if they are tracking that data today, then they will be able to start to see those changes. So when did that first click come or when they first actually did something that actually led to a sale? It's ugly. It's no fun. There is no such thing as a free lunch, but you got to do it. Tracking and data is critical. Do you think it makes sense for smaller businesses to outsource this kind of activity, especially if they're not a strong numbers person? Does that make more sense than trying to understand the software and the marketing piece themselves? Yeah, I think for a small business, and again, it depends on how small, if you want to grow and you want to grow consistently, then you need to measure and analyze consistently. And generally the outside service providers are much better at trying to do that as opposed to you trying to learn it and, and doing it yourself. If you just want to hobble along and go up and go down, then you don't have to worry about tracking. Just continue like you're doing and be like, uh, you know, Einstein, you know, you just bang your head on, on the wall and, until something changes. But yes, I would definitely recommend measuring and doing the analyzing outside the company, because then you will get a consistent report and you'll get a consistent understanding. Plus you'll get that extra knowledge for the company to learn where they can really get that extra ounce of income and then really try and accelerate their growth. Guy Powell, everyone who obviously knows his way around digital marketing, really great advice about how to move your business forward. And we really appreciate your comments. We have to take a commercial break, but we'll be back with more Passage to Profit right after this commercial message. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's the Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, eVine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney. 
attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Special guest, Guy Powell. Now it is time for Power Move Kenya. We're going to talk about a young entrepreneur by the name of Alexander Wang. He's the new youngest self-made billionaire, according to Forbes. He's 25 years old. He dropped out of college at 19 to start up a company called Scale AI. And he's working with the Air Force, the Army, General Motors, Flexport to unlock their data potential and help companies amplify their artificial intelligence. Good for him. That fits right in with what Guy was just saying about being able to target your customers and also measure the data. The data is the most important thing. Is he like some sort of super genius? He's pretty amazing. I mean, he told his parents he was only going to do this for one summer. And he never went back to school. (laughs) So it worked out for him. And what's interesting is that his technology helps companies analyze satellite images much faster than human analysts. So for the military, it's brilliant, right? And then it works for all different types of other industries as well. Well, congratulations to him. And now it's time for Fireside, Elizabeth's project. My startup, I'm going to change the name. My startup is an online video directory of small businesses. And I developed a business method. There's a number of different pieces Richard contributed. So I drafted a provisional patent application for it almost a year ago. And now I have to convert that to a utility application before the year is up. And that is what I have been working on lately. So I'm finishing drafting the patent application, but normally we would send the drawings or figures. It's mostly flow charts, but there are a couple that aren't to a draftsman to do who has special software. But if you are able to do this yourself, you can do it in Canva. Canva has almost everything you need. And I've been doing all of my figures, flow charts, as well as figures that show representations of humans, et cetera, in Canva. And it's really powerful and it's made it easier for me. And there is a universe of do-it-yourself patent filers out there. And I would always recommend that whatever gets filed gets reviewed by an intellectual property lawyer. But if you decide to do the drawings yourself, this makes it so much easier because it used to be that you needed computer-aided design software or CAD software. And learning that is not easy, but learning Canva is very easy. So it's definitely a great tool. But you have to know the rules of the patent office to be able to do your figures. Right. I mean, like I said, you can't just go do it. You have to know what the rules are. But enough about that. You know, as we get older, we get many aches and pains and surgery is always a scary thought. So Christian Seal with Vitruvia has a method for helping you relieve your aches and pains without surgery. So Christian, I am very excited to hear about this. Please tell us all about it. Well, thank you guys for having me on the show. And uh, maybe I'll just give a little bit of background. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV or passes to profit, but I am a healthcare <laughs> entrepreneur and investor. So let me just maybe take 30 seconds on how I got into this and I'll tell you about Vitruvia. You know, wasn't trained as an MD, didn't really have a background in healthcare, did an MBA and undergrad degree in economics, and then lived in the country of Colombia and Ecuador for about four years. And when I was down there, I was hospitalized with two parasites, had a temperature of 104, uh, spent 24 hours in the emergency room. And the closest thing that I pretty much had to life or death, I got a bill for $53. And I didn't really think anything of at the time, but four years later, I dislocated my pinky trying to catch a forehand tennis ball. And went to the ER and plastic surgeon came and ended up getting a bill for $17,300. And I said, you know, something's wrong here with healthcare. And that was kind of a funny story. Not so funny. My dad is now blind in one eye because of a botched cataract surgery because of a transcription error. And then my grandmother passed away from a misdiagnosis of ovarian cancer. So I basically took the view. You know, we spend $4 trillion in healthcare. About a trillion is waste. Some of that, you know, as you mentioned, has to do with unnecessary surgeries. And I just want to commit my life to help transform health and lives. So I invested in about 30 companies. We sold seven and, you know, it's great to help people, but it wasn't really touching the patient. And so when five years ago, an anesthesiologist who I'd previously backed as an investor uh, came to me and said, Hey, we can transform tissue from the inside out. I had no idea what that meant, but I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins. And he suggests to jump on a trampoline, which I did. And anyway, I fell off and I sprained both my wrists. And so what did I do? I go to the orthopedic. What do they tell you to do? They tell you to rest and ice and compression and put you in these braces. So I was in these braces for three months and doing push-ups on my knuckles. And long story short, the anesthesiologist treated me and I was able to get out of the braces and do push-ups normally in three days. And so being an investor, I kind of realized that this was something I needed to get out to the world. So we started Vitruvia about five years ago and treat these high-performance athletes that use their body to make money and now trying to get it to the rest of the world. The obvious question is, how do you do it? 
So there's this layer that we recently discovered in 2018 called the interstitial. And so a lot of Western medicine is trained on cadavers. And so what happens when we die, this highway, if you will, the interstitium evaporates. And so it's not something that's typically trained in Western medicine. So what we do is we use ultrasound to look at this interstitial or connective tissue layer to see where there may be damages or scarring from injury, from surgery, from just bad posture, our lifestyles. You know, we sit in front of the screen a lot. And if there is some type of injury or damage to the tissue, these board certified anesthesiologists will go in and restore the tissue back to what it should be. So I always like to say scar tissue looks like a kind of picket fence. The tissue doesn't move. It's not pliable. And they do a very simple, minimally invasive procedure to bring it back to a very organized layer. That's interesting. I think that what you're onto is really interesting here. So Christian, I have a question for you. If I wanted to have this done, or if Richard wanted to have it done, where could he go get this done? So we're currently in Miami, New York, and Los Angeles. We're in the process of bringing it nationwide two ways. One, since a lot of Western medicine has not really looked at this part of the body, you know, they know maybe with their hands, the PT, that there is uh, scar tissue there. But if you go get an x-ray or an MRI, you don't necessarily see this. Um, So we're giving the ultrasound and the technology that we built to other practitioners so they can do a better job of, you know, helping reconcile what you're feeling with what they see on ultrasound. And then we're training other practitioners across the nation as well. So would we go on the Vitruvia website and say, look for locations and then find a place where we could go get this done? Yeah. So the trivia website can book a phone assessment and view intake questions. There's certain things that we can't help with. And so unfortunately, if one is not eligible for treatment, and then if it's something that we can help with, or the doctors think that they can help with, they would prescribe a treatment plan. What is the universe of ailments that can be treated with your approach? So it's broad because this connective tissue layer goes from head to toe, but you think about kind of your big areas, neck, shoulder, hips, knees, ankles, Achilles, any place where there is soft tissue that may have been injured or scarred. So we see a lot of people, unfortunately, that come to us after they've tried everything. They've tried surgery. They've tried all their alternative means. They've done PT for a long time or myofascial massage. We're looking to educate more people to say that, hey, before you maybe do a surgery, before you do something that's more invasive, you know, maybe try this. Kenya? I'm just curious about the cost because I know you were talking a little about costs earlier. What does something like this cost and does insurance cover this? And I'm going to guess I know the answer. Yeah, it's um, a really unfortunate thing in our current system where they say it takes about seven to 10 years to get leading edge science into the reimbursement pathway. And so unfortunately, this is cash pay currently. We do take health savings accounts, which are employer sponsored. We are in the process of getting this reimbursed. It's not currently. Each person's very unique. So if you know, you're familiar with kind of PRP or stem cells, you know, it's kind of in line with that cost, but it's currently a cash pay procedure. Along those lines, can you use this instead of a facelift? <laughs> <laughs> We're really laser focused on helping people with pain and then improving mobility. But yeah, I think it is something, you know, in the future that could be used for cosmetic purposes. Well, looking old is emotionally painful for some people. (laughs) But but Guy, do you have a comment or question? Yeah, absolutely. A handful of friends of mine have had back surgery and I'm wondering, and and some of them didn't turn out very well. I mean, you know, they're hobbled now and it's really a shame. So would what you're offering be maybe a better first step to see if that could help their backs before they go in under the knife? Yeah, unfortunately, we've helped a lot of people that have had back surgeries, fusions, and it's unfortunate people come to us after, you know, two, three, four failed surgeries. And so, you know, I would say what we offer as well as a plethora of other things, physical therapy, myofascial massage, realigning yourself. I think there's many things that one should do. Surgery is 100% necessary in many cases, but you know, there's many things, including us, that one could do beforehand for sure. We think of the body as kind of everything's connected. And so the name Vitruvia comes from the, the Vitruvian man, which is uh, you know this really symmetrical drawing that Leonardo da Vinci did. And so if something's out of alignment somewhere, it probably means there's something else out of alignment. And so We have a lot of folks that come to us for, as an example, a shoulder. We help the shoulder, they feel better. And they're like, well, I need the other shoulder done. Or then I need my right ankle done because these fascial planes, we have six of these anatomy trains, you call them. They connect us from head to toe. And so when something's kind of off, it can result in something else being off. And what we are is very much like the catalyst, if you will. So we are able to give you a time frame where you can go ahead and then 
do yoga or, or do Pilates or PT or stretch or do something that you weren't able to do before to really nudge the body to heal itself. Kenya, did you have another comment or question? Yeah. I, how long do the results last? Is it permanent? You know, I don't think anything's permanent. I think the only constant life has changed, but we have folks that have not come back to us. You know, we typically see folks that are the athletes or use their body a lot, you know, every year to two. Um, what we typically say is if you're able to keep yourself in alignment thereafter, and we refer out to physical therapists or to body mechanic specialists, then you probably don't have to come back and see us. If mm -hmm. you're doing the same movement over and over and over again, that caused what the problem was. You may have to come back and see us. Guy, did you have a question? How about carpal tunnel? Because uh, my wife, <laughs> she's suffering through that right now. Yeah, we've helped a lot of people that have wrist issues. We typically like to do our own analysis or the doctors do. And so many times when uh, one person comes in, they were told that they had one thing and what we see on ultrasound is something else. So I always like to be cautious to say we could help, we couldn't, you know, we can't help wrists, but really the ultrasound is the kind of determination if we can help or not. What is your website? Vitruvia, V-I-T-R-U-V-I-A dot co, not com dot co. Okay, perfect. So listeners, if you have more questions, go to the website. I'm sure there's a lot of information there. This has been fascinating. Thank you. So now we're moving from physical health to emotional health with Nikki Brown with Ignite Summit, and that's ignitesummit.org. So she's the founder and host. It's a three-day seminar for women, November 10th to 12th at Chase Center in Wilmington, Delaware. Nikki, tell us what you're going to be doing. We are going to be at the Chase Center in Wilmington, Delaware. This is actually our ninth year doing it. It started off, it's an outgrowth of my background. I'm a former therapist. I actually ran a counseling practice for 10 years. And with my husband, um, and my family packed up and moved. I really kind of switched over to coaching, but also just thinking through all the women. I started off as a master's level therapist doing marriage and family. So I did all the premarital counseling and all that drama. And somehow or another through the years, more women just started coming to me, judges and lawyers and doctors and pastors and ministers and year after year. And you know what's interesting? As I was sitting talking to them, it was like I was talking to myself. And somewhere or another, I started really feeling and hearing the heartbeat of women. I come from the church world. So at that same time, I was a leader in my church and I was running events there. But as the time progressed, my brand just started to kind of build in the sense of the people who came to me the most, the people who wanted to hear from me the most were women. And so I started speaking and traveling and going across the country, doing women's conferences, et cetera. And so when I moved and I left the counseling department, you know, the practice that I was running, I really wanted to see a blend between spirituality and practicality and psychology. Some of the weaknesses in the church is you come in, you have depression, whatever. They're like, give it to Jesus. You're like, I did. And I still have depression. <laughs> and he gave it right back to me. And he gave it back to me. <laughs> you know? and, and especially with the African-American world and church, we, you know, it, it's, we're just coming into, and I'm sure Kenya can, can speak to this. We're just being okay with sharing our issues, our problems, going to counseling, going to coaching, understanding that it's okay. And so I really wanted to create a space where women of faith could come, but also women who are coming from different backgrounds can talk to women in a 360 degree model. So not just talking about our souls, but our mind, our bodies, our businesses, our finances, our relationships, because that's where we have the most emotional crazy going on. And that's what Ignite turned into. We started with a, a one day, half a day breakfast. I was praying for just 50 women to show up and we ended up with over 150 and that was back in 2014. And it has just grown from a one day, half a day breakfast to a three day, I call it a movement. And so we have right now over 25 workshop speakers in four or five different tracks. They're gonna be talking about their businesses, finances. We have a 30 under 30 group that's coming where we're gonna be empowering them in entrepreneurism and relationships. We're doing a teen summit this year 
We started it last year in the midst of coming off of COVID and it was a hit. And we also have pastors and leaders and international speakers and coaches. They, we actually do coaching groups in the afternoon. And so it's just really exciting to see the work that I did. I just brought it from years ago from speaking and teaching, but also therapy and sitting hour after hour on the couch with women crying and listening to them talk about incest and their spouses leaving them and the loneliness and the pain and bringing all of that together in one place for women to be ignited for their purpose and their passion. And so we've just watched women grow. We've watched different things take place. And so we're excited. It's going to be November the 10th through the 12th. The tickets are only $75. Are you getting people from all over the world? It sounds like you would. Well, that's the goal. Right now, we are starting to see pockets of women coming. We have a group that comes from Chicago. We have a group that comes from New York. Again, even though I moved, I came back to New Jersey every year or the Jersey area, kind of the tri-state area, because that's where my base of operation was. All the women who have followed me, I work with the workshops and stuff like that that I've done. That really was my base of operations. Do you find that the women that come to this form some very powerful relationships before they leave? Absolutely. And one of the things that I used to hate about conferences is that you work from morning all the way till evening, you don't remember what you heard. You don't know who you met. So we institute a huge block of time, especially on one day, just to connect, to go eat, take a nap, because we don't take naps. <laughs> we really, really incorporate a lot of networking and things like that. And I'm blessed to have had fantastic partners and sponsors, small business owners, but also private paying women who came to me and said to me, I just want to support this. How much can I give? And so these are people that don't want anything back. And then we also have small business owners who sponsor us. And that's the only reason why we're able to do a $75 ticket for three days. Mm -hmm. um, every year I'm praying like, come on, Jesus, you know, but these, <laughs> <laughs> just keeping it real. Um, but it, it has just grown to where, you know, we're now able to fit into a Chase Center. And so every year I'm taking a leap of faith, a, taking a risk because this is my organization. It's coming from oftentimes private donations and we are a nonprofit. And every year I just rely on the generosity, the excitement and the passion of women to say, I want to be a part. I really want to help. Kenya. Well, I think this is wonderful. I was actually just having this conversation with Charlemagne the other day about the stigma of mental health resources in the church and like yes. how there's so many misconceptions, especially in communities of color. Yes. In regards to what you're doing and leading these conversations, have you ever thought of creating a curriculum that could potentially educate leaders, ministers, community groups to really be able to lead these conversations in the right way? No, but I would love for you to help me. <laughs> that would be a fantastic idea. Um, you know, when I ran the counseling department, it was an offshoot of our church. My former pastor had a CDC put out in the community and I had to hire all the counselors and everything like that. And it was a slow hustle, you know, really trying to convince people that you can trust us. Everybody here has a degree, a license, and we really can help you. And so really being able to bridge that into the church has really been a slow growth. And, you know, Kenya, I actually have gone to different churches and done trainings I've never put it within a booklet, just haven't had the time, but I have actually trained several churches in what to do, thinking through ethical issues and things such as that. What are some of the biggest challenges that women raise? What we're hearing now, and it's so great that Guy is talking about this whole after COVID. COVID caused all of us to take a stop and say, okay, this is not my passion. This is not what I want to do anymore. People were struggling to get people to go back to work. Down the street at Kentucky, you couldn't get nobody to come and work at all. Why? Because people took a moment to stop and say, what am I doing? And I think the thing I've heard through all my counseling practice, as well as this, especially for women, is we literally infuse ourselves into roles and models that are expected of us. We get into places where people say we should be. And no one ever stops to ask us, and we don't stop to ask ourselves, what do I want? We talk about what I should do, 
what people told me I should do. Well, I got a degree in this and I spend all this money, but it's not an alignment. And so what I hear the most and what people come to ignite is to literally get back into alignment with either what they said they wanted to do in January and it is now November and you have done nothing, or there's just this silent unrest within you where you can't sleep, you're frustrated, you're making great money, great money, yet you're depressed, you hate your job, and you have literally no idea of what to do next. Ignite is the place where women come to really get them thinking and stirring up their passion and making it okay. It's okay to do what you want. It's okay to think about you. And oftentimes we don't have that space. Oh, that's wonderful. So the last day of the conference, the last hour of the conference, the women are leaving. What are they saying to you as they're leaving? That this has been life-changing. And it's so humbling because all year we're working and we're praying and we're, we're doing everything we can because that that's our goal. We want people to feel activated. And then what we hear, and this is part of, I think, my brand of just empowering people is I don't want you just to come to the conference and say, this was wonderful. I got great information. I want you to do something on Monday. Oftentimes we go to these conferences and it's great, but what are you going to do? And so that's what I hear women saying. I'm going to write the book. I'm going to get this business started. And that's what it is. It's one of those events where it's really designed. Okay, it's the end of the year. You have one month left. You still have time to do something and make sure it's in alignment with what you're called to do and what you were born to do. Oh, wow. If anybody's starting a new business and they need intellectual property advice. Well, actually, David is one of the ones who got us registered, trademarked, and he has just been amazing. I love, absolutely love him to death. I had to give him kudos today. Well, we'll, have, <laughs> we'll be sure to pass that along. Once again, you can find out more at ignitesummit.org. So don't go to .com, go to .org. And if you want to see Nikki's website, it's NikkiBrown.org, N-I-K-I Brown.org. And we're coming to the end of the show. If you missed any of it, you can find the podcast anywhere you find a podcast. If you want to see what we all look like, go to YouTube, Passage to Profit, Road to Entrepreneurship with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart and our special guest, Guy Howell. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearhart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearhartLaw.com. At Gearhart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and trademark office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. Elizabeth and I were just kind of confused about who was going to bring us back to get the show started again. So I just took the leap and went for it. So we have instituted a group discussion and everybody gets to answer the same question. We're going to ask Guy Powell first. Guy, if you really don't want to do something, but you have to do it, how do you get yourself motivated? Close my eyes and do it. It's just, you gotta, it's easier to jump in and do it than to fret about it and procrastinate and put it off for however long. It's just get it over with, rip that bandaid off, tear the scab off and just do it. He has a heck of a lot of self-discipline. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Christian, what do you do to motivate yourself? I was going to say take a nap, but uh, no. <laughs> uh I do three different things. So one is I will like literally close my eyes and just meditate and be like, do I really need to do this? Like, what's the intention behind it? And try to really understand like, if it's just busy work or not. Second thing I'll do is I'll have a really hard workout. just like sweat. And typically after that, it gives me the courage to do whatever I'm avoiding. Or the third is I have these little Louise Hayes cards that like are positive affirmations. And so 
if I need kind of a pick me up, I'll take one of those. And it typically guides me to wherever I need to go. Wow. Those are all really great ideas. Nikki, what do you do to get yourself motivated? You know, I'm working from home. Sometimes it's really hard to get motivated. So I have to have a routine. I have to exercise whether I lose weight or not. I'm not certain. I just think it's just getting up out of the bed, (laughs) things like that. And then just learning to practice self-care. Some days I just need to sit on that couch and do nothing, you know, because if I don't, I'm really going to stress myself out. But then also just trying to understand what, you know, I'm a therapist. So trying to counsel myself, like, why don't I want to do this? You know, something else is happening and trying to work through some of those things. But the biggest thing is just get moving. And sometimes you just need a good cry. You just need to get in the bathroom and cry it out. And once you cry, it's like, all right, girl, get yourself together. We're going to do this thing. I think when you hold it in, it's too much. (laughs) You just got to cry it out. But that's what I do. Okay, what about you, Kenya? That's great advice. I cry a lot, actually, I think. Probably more than the average individual, but in a therapeutic way. My husband would disagree. He'd be like, you're driving me crazy. But (laughs) it's a purposeful cry, nonetheless. That's right. So I would say for me, to-do list or like major, like I know the days when I don't have one versus the days I do have one. So when I, and even if it's three things I write down, like at least there's some accountability there for me. And I'm just going to piggyback off of what Guy said. I do everything afraid, everything afraid. So if I get a new training done and I've never taught a specific format before, I never wait until I have it perfected. I just jump out there and I do it. So do it afraid. Excellent. What about you, Richard? Well, you know, I'm going to say something ridiculous Uh, because this is my point in the show to be ridiculous. Now, what I do is I imagine the worst possible things that could happen to me and my family. Like I could end up in bankruptcy and lying in the gutter in the street. And that usually terrifies me Mm. enough to get motivated and do the thing that I have to do. (laughs) Just do that all the time anyway. Well, I found something extremely motivating these last couple of weeks, and that is that I have a strict deadline, a non-negotiable deadline. If I don't get this patent application done by September 21st, I lose my filing date and my patent rights. And I'll tell you what, that's a little fire under me. Anyway, I think it's time for the wrap up. Thank you, everyone, for your insights and sharing. So let's share everybody's websites one more time. Our guest today was Guy Powell. He is a marketing expert. His website is pro relevant, P R O L R E L E V A N T.com, pro relevant.com. And he also has a book about what to do after COVID. And what was the name of the book again? Post COVID Marketing Machine. If you're going to buy one of his books, I mean, he's got a lot of great books, but this is the one I'm going to read first. <laughs> and, and, and get the relevant data. Know your customers, know yeah. what they're doing, get the relevant data. And then we had somebody with some groundbreaking science, Christian Seal with Vitruvia, V-I-T-R-U-V-I-A dot C-O, not dot com, dot C-O. And this is groundbreaking pain treatment that can oftentimes help people not have to have surgery. So he's in a few cities now, but he's gathering practitioners to do this all over the country. So soon it will be coming to a city near you, we hope. And then... If you're a woman of faith looking for the most inspiring three days you could possibly have, Nikki Brown has Ignite Summit, ignitesummit.org, or you can find her at nikkibrown.org. And her summit is November 10th through 12th at the Chase Center in Wilmington, Delaware. And she will have women from all over the country coming to support each other and interact. She's going to have high-level speakers and presenters. It's just going to be an amazing three days. I feel inspired and ignited now just listening to her. Can you imagine what three days of this program is going to be like? You're going to come out of there like a rocket. Right. Her positive energy is amazing. So I, I love it. So unfortunately, we need to sign off now for this week, but we'll return to the station next week with another episode of Passage to Profit. Before we go, I'd like to thank the Passage to Profit team, Noah Fleischman, our producer Alicia Morrissey, our program director, and Mark Wilson, our syndication manager. Our podcast can be found tomorrow anywhere you find your podcast. Just look for the Passage to Profit show. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember, while the information during this program is believed to be correct, never take a legal step without checking with your legal professional. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gerhart. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. 